Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas at Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me. I have a resource for you that I want you to take advantage of, and the title of it is The Local Church. And it is in our store, and it is a free resource. It is a digital download book that you can have. And I want you to share, uh, let your friends know and share it uh, with them. Say, hey, here's a free book for you about the local church. Now, if you do go to our store at lifeovercoffee.com, we have a bunch of digital downloads, and they are all free. Uh, virtually every day, somebody's downloading books from our store, and oftentimes what they do is they download all of them at the same time, and that just does my heart really good uh, when that happens. And so I want you to get this specific one on the local church. But while you're there, go ahead and get all of them. And again, let your friends know so they can benefit from these free resources. But I've written this book because this is important to every Christian. This is a, a universal, valuable thing that we cherish in our hearts, and it's the local church. But sometimes what happens is that we find ourselves at that, that crossroads uh, to where either we are looking for a church or we are leaving a church. And what you'll find in this resource, the local church, at our uh, store lifeovercoffee.com, you'll find answers to all of these questions. And for some, it will be the most beneficial book that they have read uh, in a long time. And so I want you to get it, download it. You can print it off. uh, That is fine. Uh, Give it to 1,000 of your closest friends. Our resources are free. These resources are free. And so I do want you to share them with others. But what I want to do here is I want to uh, give you one chapter from that book. And this is uh, the chapter titled, The Main Thing to Look for When Looking for a Church. You see, the local church is our most crucial sanctification context outside of our homes making finding the right kind of church a critical matter for all serious-minded Christians. And so the local church is the second best place for sanctification to take take place. Now, obviously, the family is number one because the family is a 24-7 context. As good as our churches are and as much time as we spend together as a local assembly, we don't spend nearly the amount of time as we do as a family. So in the family unit, we, uh, we we see our real selves. We are exposed for who we are. We can't hide ourselves uh, within the family construct as much as we can in other places like the local church or where we work, where we go to school, etc. And so the family context gives us the most opportunities to mature uh, into Christ's likeness. But number two is when these family units come together into a local assembly. And that's why I say the local church is our most crucial sanctification context outside of our homes. But the church search can be daunting because there's so many varieties. And on top of all the varieties that we have, there are a plethora of preferences. I won't this specific variety to have these six things for me. And that brings us to a question that if you were to highlight a few essentials of things that you like for your church to be, what would be on your list? Or more specifically, let's narrow this down just a little bit. What is the main thing 
that you want when looking for a place to mature in Christ with a group of like-minded believers? What is the number one thing so you can mature in Christ, so that you can care for others, so that you can spread the fame of God throughout your community, and so you can glorify our Heavenly Father? Well, that's what I want to talk about here for a few moments. The main thing to look for when looking for a local church because it happens. Whether you want it to happen or not, it will probably happen to you. In fact, for most of you, it has happened to you. It seems to be more the rule than the exception. There was a time when hardly anyone left their churches. But in our transient culture, I think when I, when I talk about our transient culture, I almost always think about my grandmother who was born up the road, up the hill, about a half a mile away, and she got married and moved half a mile down the hill. And her and her husband, my grandfather, they, they built a home, and she lived, and he did too. They lived there all of their natural lives. And then they had a local church that was a few miles down the same road. And that's where they spent their entire lives. Within a five-mile stretch, that was their life. But we're not like that anymore. We are a transient culture, but on top of that, we have spoiled natures, meaning we can be put out very quickly because my church, well, my preacher, you know when the JV team steps up to preach, they're not nearly as good as the main guy, or you know they do this or don't do that, or the other church is doing this, and I would, et cetera. We have spoiled natures. We are a transient culture. And then there, there is the pastoral mishandling of the Word of God. And so now what used to be the exception is the rule. People in churches don't stay together like when the world was smaller in the days of my grandfather and my grandmother. Also, when the options were quite limited. And I certainly fall into this category a few years ago, we looked for another church to attend. Now, looking for a local church, I would say that it's, it's on my top 10 list of things that I want to do. It comes up under dying and paying taxes, moving. It, it's up in that list, nested up in there is, is moving, leaving friends and making new friends and finding our place in a new environment it was daunting, but we went through it. That season challenged us to think through how we valued the local church, mainly what we believed was essential for our family. And so it was during this season, I mean, we were actually doing it. So the things that I'm sharing with you has been field tested, not only by this experience that I'm communicating here, but also by talking with, well, scores upon scores of people because of what, what I do uh, as my vocation interacting with Christians. And a part of that interaction is almost always has something to do with a local church. So if you were looking for a local church to, to, to join, what are the main things on your list? What is important to you? What are your non-negotiables? These are huge questions. And how you answer them will affect you, it will affect your family for years, but even beyond that, it will impact you and your family and others generationally. 
These are super huge questions. And so our criteria for settling in a mature and sound local church, it boiled down to five things. And that was it. It was a simple list because I did not want to make a list (laughs) so long that no church would qualify. And as the saying goes, there are no perfect churches. And so if you're looking for a church and your your list has 10 or 15 things on it, uh, you're going to be hard-pressed to find that local church. And so what we did, we had five things. We developed a list that covered five main areas of the Christian life. And so in this chapter, I will speak to the first one. And the first one at the top of the list, I'll go ahead and tell you, It's the gospel. It's the main thing. Now, later on, in the book, Local Church, which you can read, and I'll also do all of those chapters uh, written out in in podcasts and videos as well, so you can find all of that individually at lifeovercoffee.com or collected together in this book, The Local Church. And I, I, I will speak to the first one, the number one thing that you're looking for when you're looking for a local church And then I will develop the other thing, uh, the other four things in succeeding chapters. But let me give you the five things in order that was important to us. Number one, the gospel, the main thing. I'll come back to that in just a moment. And I will make my case. I'm going to steel man my case. And and I, I trust that you will be convinced. Number two, theology, the foundation of our lives. In fact, The next chapter that I do will be the second most important question that you ask when looking for a church. And the second most important question is their theology. Now, some people would like say, wouldn't theology be first? Well, just hold on and hear my arguments. And what you're really going to find here that is 1A, 1B. But 1A is the gospel, and theology is so close to it, I would call it 1A and 1B. Number three, worship. Expressing gratitude to God privately and and corporately. I mean, that is what flows out of the gospel being the main thing. Having sound theology, well, then there's going to be a reaction to those two things, and that's going to be worship as we do it privately and corporately as a local church. And then number four will be ministries. These are contexts where we can serve others using our unique gifts. If I were part of a local church, which I am, I want to use the gifts that God has given me as an expression. That's another expression of my worship by using the gifts in ministry so I can fulfill uh, the second great commandment of loving others. Loving God will be zeroing in on the gospel and having sound theology and, and expressing that through worship. Number four, be loving others, to be ministry. Specific context where I can use and our family can use uh, all of our gifts in a way that we can love, uh, love others. And then number five is fellowship. Various contexts to mature in, in Christ's likeness. Now you could switch those around uh, and, and maybe that would be a better way of looking at it is that fellowship would be number four. And, and then as we mature in Christ, then ministries would be number five. Now we're serving in our unique gifts. But these are the five things. But I trust the easy part regarding the main thing when selecting a church is the gospel. 
and I trust that you all would land on the main thing. Though there are many preferences that we want to elevate, nothing transcends the vitalness and the value of the gospel. Paul said if anyone preached another gospel other than the gospel that he preached, that person should be accursed. I mean, accursed. Now, he rebuked people for mishandling the Word of God, uh, for sabotaging the text. But when it came to mishandling the gospel, if they preach another gospel, that person has to be accursed. Galatians 1, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. We cannot say that about music in the church. We can't say that about children's ministry or other essential preferences. And I bring up those three because those are three common things that people are looking for in a local church. What kind of music do they play? Tell me about children's ministry and maybe other essential preferences. And I am not saying that those things are unnecessary or non-essential, that they are. But there is a hierarchy here, and obviously the gospel is number one. Paul's elevation of the gospel settled the what's the number one thing that you look for in a church question. For example, Paul would flex on whether we should eat meat, but he would not bend on the gospel. So in 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 13, there is this kerfuffle about uh, whether you should eat meat or not. Now, theologically, we, we have knowledge. Theologically, we know that it's okay to eat that meat. But the theological issue he could flex on in that moment, but Paul would not flex on the gospel. And we know why. I mean, for example, like in Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so he elevated the gospel, accursing someone in Galatians. And then in Romans, talking about it is the power of God. It is the number one thing. That is the entryway into how we experience God and the entryway into how we even have a right theology at all. Paul saw the gospel as the power of salvation, and, and we would see through his teaching that it's not only the power of God for salvation, but it's also the power of God for sanctification as well. And we see that in the entire book of Ephesians. If you divide Ephesians up, you would, it would be a dichotomy. The first half of Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 would be laying a theological construct. And then out of that theology flows sanctification in chapters 4, 5, and 6. But it is the gospel that is the power of God to salvation and is the power of God for sanctification as well. According to his theology, the authority appropriated through the gospel affects every area of our lives, as we see in the second half of Ephesians. And Peter agreed would you just appreciate, just for a moment, the inspiring words that Peter gave us in 2 Peter 1.3? You've heard these before, but they are worth, say, worth saying. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, through the knowledge of the gospel, who called us to His glory and excellence. As convincing as Paul and Peter were, about the preeminence of the gospel. 
It was not their perspectives that put it at the top of my list. I appreciate what they said, and it helps me to think rightly. But the gospel, synonym, Christ, he is the good news. The gospel, or Christ, is the Bible's most significant message to humanity. The Old Testament writers pointed to the gospel, the good news, the person and the work of Christ. The New Testament writers explained the person and work of Christ, the gospel. And in eternity is the unending place where we will worship the person and work of Christ. Believers in the best local churches purposely center themselves on the gospel, the person and work of Christ. He is the one who matters the most. John the Baptist was necessary for a while, and then he went away. The apostles stepped in for a season, and they left too. The gospel is the only transcending, unmovable fixture in our lives, other than the Word of God, the Logos. Christ is the beginning, and He is the end. The gospel is the beginning and the end of all we do. Uh, here's a, an experiment that you could do to help you to assess yourself as to how centered you are on the gospel, or what is the animating, animating center of your life. You could do this. Draw a circle in the middle of a piece of paper, just a little circle. And then inside that circle, you write the word gospel, or you could write the word Christ. And then out of that epicenter, you draw lines from Christ, the center, to any spot on the paper. And then when you stop with your line, write a word at the end of that line, like family, finances, vocation, health, hobbies, friends, sanctification, repentance, forgiveness, joy. I mean, it's an unending list of, of physical or spiritual ideas. And so do that. Christ is the centerpiece who connects to every aspect of our lives. Everything in life flows from this gospel-centered worldview. Unfortunately, some churches place other things in the center of the circle, which is how they are known. I was talking to someone today, and he was telling me about the Second Chance Church. That's their identity and, and you can kind of see what the implication is in the name of that church. Here's the point. Whatever becomes your primary focus, that will become your identity. Every church has a central theme. Every church has an identity. Some churches are ministry-centered, and that is what would go in the center of the paper. Some churches are theologically centered, and that would go in the paper. You could be theologically centered and be so precise, but be arrogant. And you see this a lot. Arrogant pastors, preachers, and churches where they're puffed up in the knowledge. And this was the warning that, 
that Paul had in 1 Corinthians, that knowledge can puff up. But if Christ is not the center, if the gospel is not our animating center, then our theological understanding, our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy can be skewed. That's why some churches are theology-centered, and, and that would be unfortunate. Some churches are casual-centeredness. They're, they're known because this is the casual church. Some churches focus on the down and out, kind of like the second chance church. Some churches are charismatic-centered. Other churches make, the, make grace the main thing, which becomes the grace mistake. And they, the pendulum swing to where grace, 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 and in many times they are reacting to legalism that they came out of, their former uh, religious experience, which leads to the last thing on the list. Some churches react to what they are not any longer. Whatever you put in the center. And maybe a way of identifying this is to see how people act on the periphery, and that will give you an idea of what the animating center is in their life. A church is similar to a Christian in that we all have an identity, a primary focus, an animating center, something that compels us, propels us, drives us. The Christian's identity should be Jesus Christ. I mean, we're growing in Christ-likeness. And so the Christian's identity should be the gospel. We take on his alien righteousness. We take on his characteristics. We become Christ-like. The local church is full of Christ-like followers, which is why a local church's identity is Christ, or it should be primarily the main thing. And again, the title of this is the main thing to look for when looking for a church. Now, again, there are other things on the list. This is not the beginning and end of it all, but it is a prioritization of what is absolutely essential at the top of the list. A church without Christ as its identity will teach their people to make something else the center of their lives. The, 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 center, of the, life, the center of our lives or the center of the church is, is not vacant Something will always move toward the center. That's why there has to be an intentionality about making the gospel the center. Perhaps the best way to discern the heart of a church is to discover what they emphasize the most. Is it great preaching? Do we say, come see a man? But when we say, come see a man, we're talking about the preacher, and we're not talking about Christ. This is not John 4, where the lady said, come see a man. Is it great preaching? Is that the thing? Is the preacher, that's the draw? What is the main thing? That thing pushes all other things, including Christ, to the periphery. My appeal to anyone looking for a local church is to determine if Christ is the centerpiece of all they do. Heaven is a place with Christ in the center. And wisdom implies Christians should prep for heaven today by making him the centerpiece of their lives. Uh, this beautiful passage that you're familiar with in Revelation chapter number 5, it says, Then I looked, 
And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell and worshiped. That's our future, folks. We can prep for our future today by making the gospel the main thing, the centerpiece of our local churches, which has to be the centerpiece of our hearts. The gospel brings you into a transformative experience with Christ. The only way to change is by having a dynamic relationship with Jesus. It's this necessity that makes gospel-centered teaching more important than things like a principle-driven life. Principles teach you how to relate to Christ, but principles without Christ will not transform you. They will not sustain you. They are bumper stickers or they're social media quotes that drip dopamine. Best practices are similar as they temporarily shape your life according to the proportion and the degree that you use them. Tips provide light. They may inspire, but principles and practices and tips, they were never meant to bring sustainable inside-to-outside transformation. Even Bible seminars and weekend retreats are inspiring. Men meetings are terrific. I'm not throwing any any of these things really under the bus programs, initiatives, Bible nuggets, and your latest favorite book, it can lift you over a hurdle. There is a place for all of these things in Christendom. But if the gospel is not the centerpiece of our lives, we will always need these religious puffs like a chain smoker needs another cigarette. Without a dynamic, interactive relationship with Jesus, we are only as strong as our latest principle, book, or conference. The secular world provides principles, books, and conferences. We have Jesus. Principles and programs, as effective as they can be, they are analogous to to parts of a car. The gospel, on the other hand, is the engine that makes everything, everything go. The issue here is not this or that. We're not competing. This is not uh, what they used to have back when I was a child, demolition derby, where we're just taking out each other by ramming our cars into each other. So the issue is not this or that, but it's about priority and preeminence. The gospel is at the heart of the Christian life. And so if you go back in your mind to that circle in the middle of the piece of paper, what is the epicenter of your life? If it's Christ, then you're in a great place. And you'll long for a church 
that makes much of Christ. There will be a gravitational pull toward that church. You will know it when you, you see it because it is a reflection of your heart if you have a Christ-centered heart. Now, I am not suggesting that when you're looking for a church that every sermon makes a beeline to Christ and, and it stays there. That quote has been attributed by some to Charles Haddon Spurgeon, but it, it seems like he didn't say that, even though there is implication of that in some of his writings. And I'm definitely not saying that that every sermon has to make a beeline to Christ because then you'll get into eisegetical readings of, of the text and you'll start bending text just so you can connect it to Christ somehow. But Jesus must always be the flavor of the day in a local church. And even as we exegete and teach other passages that do not speak explicitly to the centrality of Christ, He has to be the flavor of the day. The goal is for every Christian to fall in love with Christ and out of that great affection for what he has done and for what he is doing, we find the motivation to obey him in all things, perseverance during our harshest trials, and an unencumbered desire to tell others that they can refresh their souls with the water that he gives. Our search for a new church started with understanding the church's view and the practice of the gospel. And so the two most important questions were, does the church have a sound view of the gospel? And we answered that question by asking another one. How is the gospel actively presented to and practically changing the church? We were not looking for a church that had perfected its understanding of the gospel. Gospel transformation is always a work in progress. We were looking for evidence. We had our spyglass out, and we were looking for evidence that this church understands how to practically implement the gospel into their lives, which is why we had a few follow-up questions that we were asking as well, because the way to know, what I was saying earlier about that sheet of paper, you can look at the extremity, how people live their lives, and it will tell you what their treasure is. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so you could do it either way. Is your heart centralized on the gospel? Then what will flow out is gospel-centered living in all of these spheres in your life. Or you can look at all the spheres in a person's life and track that back to the epicenter, to their identity, to the thing that animates them the most. And so as we were trying to understand about this church, do they have a gospel centrality mindset? Well, that's a theoretical question, but there is a, a practical way of answering that question by making more assessment questions. Let me give you a list of them. Now, by the way, I want to give you 10 questions. This is not an exhaustive list, but it will help you to understand if the gospel is the main thing in a local church. Question number one, is the gospel transforming the leadership? Now, that's a little vague, and so let me give you a couple others that ties into number one. Is the gospel transforming the leadership? Number two, are they transparent and open about their struggles? You see, a right understanding of the gospel 
it sets the captives free. We have nothing to fear, nothing to protect, and nothing to hide. Our greatest problem in life has been resolved at the cross. And so the gospel frees us. And you'll see that freedom in people's lives, which will compel them to be appropriately transparent about what's going on in their lives. It's not a church of tight, suit-coated people who hide behind an image that they're projecting uh, in, um, uh, to everybody else in the church. I was talking to someone recently who uh, we, we were having this conversation, and he played in the NFL uh, for a while, several years. And I said, you know, church is kind of like uh, what you do uh, in the NFL, that you get a highlight reel, your best catches, your best tackles, your, your best moments in college, and you give it to the NFL scout and say, this is me, and it has all my best moments in it. Sometimes we can be a highlight reel in our local churches where we just, hey, this is me and all of my greatness, but there's a lack of transparency and honesty there. But if a, if, if a church is truly understanding what it means to live in the centrality of the gospel and they're animated by the gospel, they're not just giving you the highlight reel so we can celebrate the evidence of grace in their lives, but they're also sharing with you appropriately areas where they haven't quite yet uh, come to that place of glorification, of perfection. And they're willing to talk about that. And so I asked question number one, is the gospel transforming the leadership? Kind of a vague theoretical question. Well, number two is, are they transparent and open about their struggles? That will help you to answer question number one. And then question number three, a little more, a few more brush strokes on that canvas. Are they establishing the baseline for confession? meaning they're leading in confession. They are so compelled by the gospel that they want to be Christ-like out of the affection for what Christ has done for them as they mature in the gospel and understand what Christ did for them. Well, they want to continue to clean up their act. Uh, they want to continue to mature in Christ. And so what you will see is they will be establishing a baseline of confession, or I'm asking the question, are they establishing the baseline for confession? Number four, how does the gospel motivate them to live so the congregation can learn from their successes, the highlight reel, and also from their failures, the things that don't show up on the highlight reel? Number five, are their spouses being transformed similarly? Because their, their spouse, the leadership spouses, they are affected the most by the leader. Nobody is affected more by the leader than the leader's spouse, and then, of course, their children. Now, again, I'm not talking about sinless perfection here because each person has to work out their salvation uniquely, but there are shaping influences. We all have shaping influences, and a leader in a local church is a shaping influence, for good or bad, to his spouse and, and their children if they have children. Number six, are the marriages of the leadership something that you want to export to the congregation? And so you see this couple in the church, these leaders and small group leaders and their wives, and it's like this couple right here, we want to export that to the church. Now there will be some that you, won't, you will not want to export to the church 
because again, there's no perfect churches. But what we're talking about here is directionally, which way is the church going? And so the preponderance of evidence would say directionally that they are gospel-centered, understanding that there is no perfection here, and there will be outliers. There will be people going in the other way, but the majority, you just sense the direction of the church has a gospel centrality, and one of the ways you can assess that is the marriages of the leadership, because they are the ones that's in the primary exportation business. They have the primary role of exporting the gospel to others by the things that they say and the lives that they live because they have more opportunity to do that than anybody else in the building. Number seven, would it be in the congregation's best interest to follow the leadership because of how they follow the gospel? And so as you're looking for a new church and you spend a few weeks or a few months there, and you, you, after a while, you can come to some kind of reasonable conclusion that, yeah, I, I think you all need to be following this leadership because they seem to have a heart for God. There is a humility. There is a transparency. We see much evidence of God's transformative grace where they're maturing and, and they're very open appropriately. I keep saying appropriately because a fool will reveal his entire mind, but then the tight-suited person who only gives you the highlight tape, well, that's the other ditch that we have to stay out of. Question number eight, how has the exported gospel impacted the people in the church? And so that now they are exporting their lives to others, preferably a gospel-centered life. It is affecting people in the church. And so with outlier imperfections understood, directionally the church should be moving toward a gospel centrality as they follow the leaders as the leaders follow the gospel. Number nine, how has the heart of the leadership become the heart of the people? And you'll see this in churches, especially with a pastor or pastors who have been there, uh, the primary influential pastors who have been there uh, for a while. Uh, you'll see that their heart will begin to impact the heart of the other people who have been there for a while. And so you'll see a continuity uh, from leadership to uh, the congregation for those who have been established there for a while. How has the heart of the leadership become the heart of the people? And then number 10, and again, this is not an exhaustive list of questions, but we wanted to practically try to think through what does gospel centrality look like. To say that the gospel is the main thing sounds good. It, it, it would ring true uh, on a mission statement. But practically, what does it look like? And so there's a list of questions here that you're welcome to think through and add to your, add your own because you want to see what it looks like in the weeds, on the ground where people are living week in and week out. Question 10, how is the gospel influencing and directing the programs and the ministries of the church? And so you see this gospel DNA. Now it's moving out from the leaders of the church to their wives, their families. And then there's leaders of the church in non-teaching situations, women, and to their husbands and their families. But whoever these leaders are, male or female, 
and as it works out in their families and then continues like dropping a rock in a pond, it continues to work out in these ever-increasing circles, and it affects the various ministries of the church, and now what you have is a gospel-centered environment, and that is the epicenter of the church. If we are rightly affected by the gospel, then we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to protect, and we have nothing to hide. The gospel sets the captives free. It releases the captive to become everything that God intends for that captive, former captive, to become. The gospel becomes the, the centerpiece of the former captive's life, attaching and affecting every area of their lives. It becomes evident to others that the animating center is Christ, and then the gospel contagion grows. And so just like it affects our lives and we impact others, when we come together as a local assembly of a gospel-centered mindset, we begin affecting each other collectively, and it just rolls out through the ministries and throughout the community. The disciples of Christ were affected by Christ, and they turned the world on its head. That's how it works. Disciples follow Christ, creating a gravitational pull that compels others to follow them as they follow Christ, which is what Paul said explicitly in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, hey, you, follow me as I follow Christ. Making the church's leadership assessment question valid and a valuable tool when seeing if a church has the gospel as its theme, as its identity. The gospel is not an ethereal, vague idea, but it is a practical life that you want to emulate. If you want to read, watch, or listen to what I just shared with you, go to lifeovercoffee.com and look for the main thing to look for when looking for a church. If you want the entire book, go to our store at lifeovercoffee.com and get the book, The Local Church. And again, while you're there, uh, get all the other books that are there. We're, we're, we're adding a new book every month. That's, our, that's been our process for the last year. And by the grace of God, we will continue to do that. And so keep coming back to our store so that you can get those uh, free books. But I want you to have the one titled The Local Church. Now, before I leave you, I do, I do want to give you some questions to, to think through where you can apply. I've given you 10 already, but that's about leadership assessment for the most part. But it's important to me that our articles are not just something that you read and you move on from, but it's something that you engage. And so we put a CTA at the bottom of all of our articles so that you can uh, engage all of these call to actions and work through the questions. Now, if you go to the very bottom of the page, you'll see a, a print button and you can print it off. And I know some people do that. My friend uh, Lori uh, in Bozeman, Montana, uh, we were up there last summer, and uh, she showed me her notebook. I'd seen it before, but she showed me her notebook, had the plastic sleeves, and inside each sleeve was an article from 
lifeovercoffee.com that she printed off, and she uses it in her ministry. And that is just a fantastic thing. It is just a, a great idea, and you can do that too. There's others that have uh, emailed me or I've talked to personally who have said that also. And so you're welcome to print it off and just go to the bottom of the website and you print off this article. You can scratch it up. And, of course, you can make copies and share it with others. And so let me get into these CTAs, and, and I hope they will help you to really reflect on what I just shared with you. Question number one, why is the gospel the main thing that you want to see in your church? I trust you would be able to answer that question. And it would be even better if you talked to someone about that. The teacher always learns more than the student because they have to work harder, uh, because they have to communicate the material. And so if you want to communicate the material, uh, if you want to learn the material, then communicate the material. And so maybe having a discussion with someone about this uh, would be crucial. The question is, why is the gospel the main thing that you want to see in your church? Number two, if you believe something else is more important, what is it? Would you make a case for it? Now, that would be a discussion that you would have to have with someone else. But if you believe that something else sits at number one, and I talked earlier that some will say theology, but in the next chapter, I'm actually going to answer that question more thoroughly than what I've communicated here. I said gospel is 1A, theology is 1B, and that is true. And so, uh, and I'll make that case later, but I, I couldn't. I really wanted to give primacy to uh, the gospel here because it's the most important thing, and then devote an entire another chapter to why theology is the second most important thing that you're looking for in a local church. But if you believe something else is more important, then what is it, and would you be willing to make a case for that? Number three. How have you centered your life on the gospel? And what practical evidence would support your gospel-centered life? Now, this is an excellent evaluation question. And, of course, I know my temptation when I'm making evaluation questions of myself is to think about my highlight reel, uh, to put my best foot forward. And the best way to overcome that temptation is to actually sit down with someone who knows you and probably better than anyone else, won't rubber stamp you. They have the courage to speak the truth. And of course, part of that courage to speak the truth is because you've created an environment of grace that releases them to be free uh, to speak the truth and love, and they will not be blowback from you. And I've had this conversation with my wife before, and, and I remember one time, it was probably 20 years ago, and I, I prefaced it this way, that if you knew I would not respond angrily, if you knew I would not make excuses, if you knew I would not justify myself, and you had freedom to say anything that you wanted to say, then how would you answer this question? And maybe for some of you, that would be how you need to preface the question because you don't have that time and grade uh, to where you trust each other enough to where you can be honest. And that happens in relation uh, marriages primarily. It, it happens in long-term relationships where there have been 
uh, dust-ups along the way, and we don't clean up our messes well enough. And, and so there's always this lingering effect of how we impact each other adversely. And if that lingering effect is still out there, and then you go to them and ask them to be honest with you, and they're going to have a hard time being honest with you. And so maybe you need to preface this as I have for you, or some paraphrase of that, and then go to that person, maybe your spouse, and the question is, how have you centered your life on the gospel and what practical evidence would support your gospel-centered life? And so you can explain all that to uh, your courageous friend who's going to speak the truth in love and talk about drawing that circle in a piece of paper. And so, and you can do it from the inverted perspective. You know, as you look at my life, the way I steward finances, the way that I parent maybe, uh, the way that I am a spouse, the way that I do my job, the, the things that I'm passionate about, devices or sports or whatever it, whatever it is, uh, the way that I think about, talk about the church, uh, my uh, passion for reading Scripture, hiding God's Word, evangelism, how often I confess my sins, etc. So as you look at all of these indicators, and there's a million things that you can list, but what does that tell you about the most important thing in my life? Now, some people, the response is going to be, well, you're a narcissist. <laughs> you're a self-centered person. Now, probably that conversation is never going to happen because if the person is truly self-centered to that degree, first of all, they're not going to preface a conversation as I prefaced it a while ago. They're not going to ask the question, and the person is not going to speak the truth in love because that's your answer. You already have your answer. By the way, if you can't ask this question to someone, then you already have the answer because the gospel is not the animating center of your life because the person who has been freed by the gospel has nothing to protect, has nothing to fear, has nothing to hide. And so this would be a wonderful conversation to have with another person. And if you can't have the conversation, then, well, maybe you have your answer. And I would encourage you to go to the Lord and make whatever adjustments that you need to make so that Christ can be the center of it all. And then when you get to heaven, it won't be such a odd experience for you because you've been in prep, uh, centralizing your life on Christ for many years, hopefully decades, while here on earth. And then question number four is, will you work through the 10 questions that I ask about the church, about its leadership? And by the way, I would encourage you to apply those questions to you. I think that's important. We want to be careful about being uncharitable toward other people. And so question number one in that list of 10, is the gospel transforming the leadership? And so you can ask the question this way, is the gospel transforming me? And then you can get into those other questions that help answer that first one. Are you transparent? Are you open about your struggles? Are you establishing the baseline for confession? How does the gospel motivate you to live so that your family can learn from your successes and failures? 
So you see what I did there? I, I turned the question and made it more personal because the easy part would be to answer the questions about the church leadership. Now, of course, you need to do that, especially if you're looking for a church. You do want to do that. You do want to make those uncharitable, those charitable, rather. That was a big mistake. You want to make those charitable assessments of the leadership because you're trying to find a local church and you want to see what is the animating center of the leaders, their spouses, their children, and as these continual expanding circles, you want to see directionally that this church has a gospel centrality worldview to it. But as you go through those questions also, make sure that you're asking the question, about yourself too, because you're going to be part of that local church. And so you want to be moving directionally uh, in the right way. It would be disingenuous to expect them to be something that I'm not striving to become. I mean, imagine that, a Christian critiquing the leadership of the church and the, the church member not striving to become the thing that they are critiquing. It's like, well, the pastor's not humble, am I? The pastor's not transparent, am I? The parent, uh, pastor doesn't confess, am I? You know, the pastor doesn't have passion for Christ, do I? And so perhaps making this assessment of yourself uh, would be hugely beneficial as you charitably assess those that you want to submit to. Uh, and permit them to lead you with joy and not with groaning, as the Hebrew writer said. Perhaps speaking with a close friend, again, about those 10 questions would help clarify your strengths, your weaknesses in applying the gospel to your life. Now, again, if you want to read this article, I would encourage you to do so. The main thing to look for when you are looking for a church. You can find that at lifeovercoffee.com. I want you to get the book in our bookstore, the local church. It has a whole bunch of chapters to it that walk through different things, including, for example, how to leave a church well. And so we go from beginning to end, how to find a church, how to participate in a church, what makes great leaders, what makes great congregants, and then, of course, when bad things happen, how to identify abuse, etc. And then, of course, at the end, if it comes to that, uh, church discipline, by the way, and then if it comes to that where you have to leave, uh, there is uh, also a chapter on how to leave well. And so this will be an excellent treatment on all things local church, and it will serve you. And so take advantage of this article, podcast, video. By the way, please subscribe to our uh, podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe, sub subscribe uh, to Life Over Coffee uh, dot com. For those of you who prefer Rumble uh, or YouTube, uh, you can subscribe to our Rumble channel uh, and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. And then make sure that you pick up all of these resources that we have. We have lots of books. By the way, in our store, uh, we have tumblers. Uh, this is one here uh, that you can get. And we just want to spread the brand. We want people to know about Life Over Coffee and all the great resources that we have that are free. And so we have different size tumblers. We also have mugs as well. All of that's in our store, including our paperback books. You can get them 
Uh, we also have coffee beans. Uh, these are outstanding, and so you can get your coffee, your mug, you can get a, a book, and you can get these digital downloads, and you can find all of that stuff, including shirts and hats and all of that in our store. So please take advantage of these resources, and please share them with your friends. Uh, also, we do have supporting memberships, and we have an online school. And so if you're interested in, in going through our school to learn how to discipleship at a high level, uh, to learn how to do biblical counseling, uh, or if you just want to get on our forums and, and talk to us, uh, you're welcome to do that. Just hit the Join button uh, at the top right of our website at lifeovercoffee.com. We have a special forum called Leaders Over Coffee, and that's where they get video responses for me. I put out five videos every week, Monday through Friday, at least. Sometimes, many times, it's more than five videos, but always at least five videos on all things Christian, all things discipleship. As a leader over coffee, you get that, and then we have a monthly meeting as well. And so you get a lot of additional resources that are behind the paywall. For those who are seriously minded and they really want to de delve deep into discipleship, there's a lot of Ds there. Uh, but for those folks, I would consider, I would appeal to you to consider being a leader over coffee. And then you have that private forum just for that community, seriously minded Christians who really want to not just grow, in their own sanctification, but they're doing the work of discipling others, and they have questions. People come all the time. I'm counseling a person who is addicted with whatever. Uh, I have a friend who is struggling with this. How could I help them? Those questions are happening all the time. So we do have a feedback loop, and so if you would like a discipleship coach, so to speak, uh, we have some wonderful team members, including me, and we would love for you to be part of Leaders Over Coffee. And so there's a lot here. Spend time in our coffee shop. Take advantage of what you will. And of course, as always, share uh, these things with 1,000 of your closest friends. This is Rick Thomas with Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.